I'm not afraid of the rain. I'm not afraid of it. I'm not afraid of it because I see the rainbow after it comes out. And I know this is God's promise. God's promise to never destroy life on earth again with the flood. Rainbow, brilliant, beautiful, a manifestation of every color in the spectrum as the sun goes across the horizon upon a canvas of water vapor to reveal beautiful shades, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. God's promise. On December 9th, 2018, you can check the sermon archive. The opening words of my sermon on Noah and the flood were that I'm guilty of the same sins committed by the people who were washed away in the flood. I see God declare his wrath upon sin, and I see my reflection in the people who are objects of God's wrath. I'm guilty of some of the same things that they're guilty of. My righteousness is like filthy rags before the Lord. And what I deserve is eternity in hell from my sin. Romans 3.23 says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says the wages of that sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So the people of Highlands Community Church who were present can attest to the fact that I openly confess when I'm guilty of the same sins described in the text of the Bible. Highlands Community Church, have I been honest about that? I openly own up to the fact that I'm guilty of some of the same sins committed by the people washed away by the flood. Now, what am I to do when I come upon a passage like the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in which I may not personally struggle with the same sin that's described in this text? Should I treat it any differently? Listen, my lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, Friend, I'm very glad that you're here. I'm very glad that you're here. You happen to have come on the day in our study plan when we're looking at the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. I want you to understand my intent here. If this is your very first Sunday here, it might be a little bit weird, all right? I don't choose the topics that are covered in the content of the sermon. Rather, as a church, we have aligned around a book-by-book -book curriculum that I helped write that takes every age level of our church through every book of the Bible every nine years. And now, in our book-by-book -book journey through the Bible, we've arrived at this passage. Now, when I see a passage that proclaims healing for the hurting, Highlands can attest to the fact that I will, at the top of my lungs, shout about God's healing for the hurting. And when I come upon a passage that commands God's people to care for the needy, I will, from the marrow of my bones, reiterate God's commands to care for the needy. So now we've come upon a passage of the Bible, like Sodom and Gomorrah. I will be faithful to what the text says, just like I am every other week. Now, next weekend's text is Genesis 31. And it has nothing whatsoever at all to do with sexuality. So as a result, I will not say a word about sexuality. But this week, the text does deal with sexuality. And so will I. So I'm subservient to the text, what the text says. 
my LGBTQ friend. God loves you, loves you. And you are surrounded by love at this moment. This is a safer space for you than any other. You are surrounded on all sides by love. Is that true, Highlands Community Church? You are surrounded by love right now. You're also surrounded by some fellow sinners. This is a sketchy crowd, okay? If you're, I'm a sinner too. I'm saved by grace. I praise God for that, all right? So this is, this is a place where you're surrounded by the love of God. You're surrounded by fellow sinners. I don't consider the sin of homosexuality to be particularly egregious. I think the classification of sins is a man-made construct. I think that sin is absolutely sin. And I think that you could alter your behavior in such a way that you no longer commit the sins of homosexuality and still have like a billion other sins that all condemn you to hell, just like me, sorry. So I don't have a particular bone to pick with homosexuality. It's that culture is trying to excuse that one sin in particular, do you understand? My endeavor is to share with you precisely what the word of God says, unmitigated, not standing in its way at all. I was a part of a group, a drum corps, that toured the country and performed in college and pro stadiums all over the US. There were about 150 performing members, and there was a large color guard, and nearly 100% of the guys who were in that color guard proudly identified as gay, which meant that every summer, three years in a row, months on end, I toured the country side by side with these guys. Slept on the gym floor right alongside these guys for months on end, years on end. Showering in the same locker rooms. Some of those locker rooms didn't have the open showers, they had the stalls. And when we were short on time, we doubled up. Not a whole lot of biblically orthodox pastors can say they showered with a bunch of gay dudes, but I have. <laughs> so, you are suffix-phobic it won't stick to me. I'm not afraid of you. I'm not afraid of you, my gay friend. I love you. I actually love you. I love you enough to call your spiritual cancer what it is. It's cancer. I'm not going to delude you. I pretend like it's not sin before God. I'm not going to manipulate the text of Scripture to water it down and mitigate it, make it more politically correct and less offensive to you. Because I love you just as much as I love straight people, I'm gonna approach sin in the text the same way I approach straight sin. Even if you don't change your mind today, before you leave this place, my hope is that you would know what the word of God says. So if you choose to continue living in a gay lifestyle, you at least know that you're doing so in disobedience with the word of God. The larger issue that I take is not at all with you personally. It's with those that would mishandle the word of God. Now Christians, straight Christians, you're not off the hook today either, okay? We all get to feel uncomfortable together. Welcome to Highlands Community Church. <laughs> because there's a pressure for Christians to forsake this for political reasons. 
And I understand your motivation, Christian. I understand where you're coming from with this. I totally get it. Culture says that it's virtuous and kind and even love itself to pretend like the Bible doesn't say what the Bible clearly says about homosexuality. And you're like, I want to be perceived as loving. I want to be conceived as virtuous and kind. And so you forsake the truth of God. Christians, we are all in the hot seat together with this text. We're all together in this. So as we approach this, I want to encourage you, my gay friend, hear me out to the end. Hear out God's word to the very end. And be honest. Be honest. Jesse, I was born this way. I was born with a sin nature too. Can you be honest for a minute about the born this way narrative? Let's be real. There's no scientific basis for it. The search for the gay gene has been utterly fruitless so far. And you know this. Homosexuality was expunged from the diagnostic manual for sake of political purposes, not the sake of scientific advancement. It framed things in a civil rights issue. And then the LGBTQ community abandoned that narrative to accommodate the transgender movement. I believe they did this to achieve legislation in a way that I think does a disservice to the black community. Can you be honest for a minute? Can you be honest for a minute? You know that there's a huge percentage of people who can affiliate their homosexual orientation with an event of abuse in their past. No, that's not 100% of gay people, but yes, there are a tremendous number of people who have identified that way. I've counseled them, I've seen them in my office, and their stories matter. You ought not erase them. Be honest. Be honest. Be honest. You know that this is a serious issue when a young gay black man faces negative odds of reaching the age of 60. That's an issue. Can you be honest for a minute? Be honest. Let God speak the way that he does. We're going to look at Genesis 18 and 19 because that's where we're at in our book-by-book -book journey through the Bible. And we're going to show where that's reflected in the New Testament as well. We're going to look at Genesis 18, starting in verse 16. We're going to look at Romans 1 in the New Testament, which discusses this. And we're going to close with 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. And in Jesus' name, hearts will be changed by the word of God today. Amen. Let's look at Genesis 18. We're going to pick up in verse 16. But if you want to check my interpretation, you can see the opening words of chapter 18 describe three men appearing to meet with Abraham. These three men are manifestations of God himself, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. This is a Christophany of sorts, a representation of Christ in the Old Testament. I know there's a popular argument that says that Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. Let it be said that he was present when Sodom and Gomorrah experienced the wrath of God. As we look at this text, we're going to cover a lot of Bible. Is that okay with you? Right? Less of me and more of him. Amen? I think it's important to see the context because Sodom and Gomorrah in Christian circles is sometimes misrepresented. It's not given proper treatment. 
We just focus on the sulfur and the fire coming down from heaven, but we never look at the multiple appeals from Abraham to God to spare Sodom and Gomorrah and God relenting and relenting and relenting and relenting. We also never really look at Lot that carefully, the guy who's spared. Okay, Peter writes about Lot and describes him living amongst the debauchery and the depravity of Sodom and Gomorrah as though it tormented his soul. But as you'll see in the text, Lot was also far from perfect. Lot was not delivered because of his good conduct. He was delivered because of the mercy of God. You understand? Look at the way in which God relents in pouring out his wrath and keep it in a larger perspective, Bible-wide, in which this is consistent with the treatment of God's wrath in Scripture. God proclaims that he's going to pour out his wrath and he gives fair warning for centuries at a time. In the case of the flood, it was 120 years worth of warning. That's an ample heads up. In the case of the land of Canaan, it was about four centuries worth of warnings from God. And here in the case of Sodom and Gomorrah, you can see Abraham pleading with God to spare the city for the sake of an incrementally shrinking remnant of those faithful. And over, over and over again, God agrees to relent, to relent, to relent, to relent before pouring out his wrath. This is the moment in that same event that you find yourself in now, my gay friend. God has proclaimed his wrath upon sin. Sin just like mine. Sin just like yours. But the ark door is still open. God is patient with you, not wanting anybody to perish, but all to come to repentance. He is long-suffering. He is gracious. He's forgiving. Look with me at Genesis 18, starting in verse 16. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness, righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. By the way, that's an appropriate posture from which to pray to the Lord. Not putting your finger in his face, but recognizing in a degree of self-awareness the chasm that exists between his holiness and our finitude and sinfulness. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 
30 are found there. He said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again, but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way. When he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, my lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, no, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. This is also often overlooked in the preaching of Sodom and Gomorrah. Look at this. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Now you might be able to deduce using context clues what they mean by the word know. It's also employed to describe the way in which a man knew his wife she bore him a child. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. There's Lot, the most righteous man in Sodom and Gomorrah. It is not it is not because of a noble character and a good behavior list that Lot is spared. It is simply because of God's grace. Do you understand that? My gay friend, there's not a Christian in this world who thinks that he's more deserving than you. There's, not, there's no such thing as a perfect, well-behaved Christian. Every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The most righteous man in this city just offered his two daughters to be raped by the crowd at the door. You understand? This is only about God's undeserved grace and mercy upon Lot and his family. Do you remember what Abraham's prayer was? If there were just 10, it started at 50, it ended at 10. Apparently, there aren't even 10 people left in the city, and the one most righteous man in town is this guy. It is simply because of the mercy of God upon Lot and not because of Lot's behavior. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both great and small, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. All right, just so we're clear on what's happening here. God has sent two angels into the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, and every last man of the town, great and small, all is trying to get in to rape these two men. Do you understand that? Just so we're clear on what's happening here. Do you see the depravity that has taken place in Sodom and Gomorrah? Look at verse 12. 
Then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, anyone else in the city, bring them out of the place, for we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law who were uh, to marry his daughters, up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city, but he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. That was their ticket out, and they didn't take it seriously. They didn't take a proclamation of God's wrath for sin seriously. And so because they didn't take that seriously and they stayed in town, they suffered the same fate. Look at verse 15. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand. The Lord, being merciful to him, that is everything about Lot's story right there, God's mercy, and brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life, but I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zor. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. All right, this text is clear. I've seen recent articles even finding the ruins of what could be Sodom and Gomorrah, trying to make the case that it was a, some sort of a naturally occurring disaster. I think the text is clear, right? This is sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground, even the plants. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. But Jesse, that's the Old Testament. That's, that's the book of Genesis. God changed his mind, right? I mean, what's the deal, Jesse? The Old Testament is full of all sorts of commands that you don't obey. There's a command in the Old Testament to the Israelites to not eat shellfish. There's a command in the Old Testament not to sow all of your crops in the same field at once. There's a command in the Old Testament not to wear clothing made out of two types of fabric. There's a command in the Old Testament not to cut the hair on the sides of your head. So why are you picking and choosing what you believe out of the Old Testament? It must be bigotry. You must just simply hate gay people, Jesse. I know why you're inclined to think that. It's because that's an easier thing to deal with than what the text says. It's easier to build a straw man and pretend like I'm just a hateful bigot, a homophobe, than it is to believe this is the inspired word of God. There were three men present to speak with Abraham. 
That means Jesus was present when the sulfur fell. Do you understand? Now I'm going to read to you from the New Testament. Okay? I feel the need to repeat that because I'm, I'm amazed. Right? I'm amazed as I, as I share the Bible and the gospel story with, with my gay friends. For a lot of us, it's like with my gay friends, former musicians that I perform with over the years, what the Bible says about homosexuality is like politics. We just don't talk about it. <laughs> And when I do share it with them, they've never actually just read this. And they're surprised to see this is in the New Testament. So please, please consider for a moment the futility of all the ad hominem attacks that you're developing and sharpening to attack me with right now. And see how I am just the messenger. I am completely beside the point. I know the common narrative that says, Jesse, these kind of things are better discussed in the context of relationship. But be real with me for a minute, my gay friend. You and I could be best friends for 50 years, and 50 years from now, it'll still be awkward to bring this up with you. I have instead proclaimed that we're going to go book by book through the word. We've arrived at this point in the text. So I'm going to share with you exactly what the word of God says on the matter, and this is coming from the New Testament. Christian, this is in the New Testament. Testament, the book of Romans, chapter one. Okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the gospels, the story of Jesus, Acts, the church is born, then comes Romans, chapter one. That's what I'm reading from here. So please understand, I know, I've experienced hatred before from the LGBTQ community. Every gay friend I've ever had would tell you that I loved and respected them just like I did everybody else. But I've still received hatred from the gay community. In college, I once led a guy to Christ. His gay friend was sitting at the table when I did. He was mad at me. He snuck into my dorm room and peed on the Bibles that were on my bookshelf in my dorm room. I've experienced hatred from the LGBTQ community. I don't harbor one iota of hatred for you. Please see this for what it is. This is what the word of God says. You've likely been deceived to one extreme or the other. I've seen contortions of Christianity that go in both directions. I've seen contortions of Christianity that make homosexuality a sole issue. That's like what the whole pulpit is built around, is condemning homosexuality to the neglect of the true gospel. I've seen that before. I've also seen churches that try to rationalize homosexuality and in caving to political pressure to make Christianity more palatable they water down the gospel and pretend like the Bible doesn't say what it plainly and clearly says. Understand this. There are passages of scripture that are up for debate. This is not one of them. There are parables that are difficult to discern. This is not a parable. This is not a metaphor. This is clear. Be honest with yourself. See how irrelevant this messenger is and hear the message honestly. Consider this as well. Disliking what this truth says doesn't make it less true. That applies to you too, Christian. Think on it for a minute. I don't like what this says, so I've decided it's not true. Does that sound rational to you? I don't like it, so I don't believe it. Post hoc ergo propter hoc. There's a logical fallacy. Negative consequences and disliking something doesn't make it less true. It doesn't make it less true. So be honest. Let the Spirit work upon your heart. Read the truth of this text. Let God's word 
speak to your heart. I implore you. You'll find as we read this text that our culture in the United States of America is not innovative. We're not doing anything new here. We're not progressive at all. Seattle, we are not progressive. We are actually walking in lockstep with a repeatedly tried and failed worldview. We are walking in lockstep with the very worldview of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is nothing new. This is cyclical and has been happening in societies all over the globe for millennia. For thousands of years, this cycle has been repeating. Sodom and Gomorrah is an archetype used in this text in Romans chapter 1 to describe what happens when you forsake the truth of God for a lie. When you forsake the truth of God for a lie, there's nothing that can stop your descent into depravity. Only two things can stop a culture's descent into depravity. One is an outpouring of God's wrath, fire from heaven. There's another one, though, and this is what I propose for Seattle, revival. These are the two things that stop a culture's descent into depravity. So, like it or not, here's what God's word says. Don't demand that God lower the bar for you. Read God's word honestly. Let his spirit work upon your heart. Understand that this is the inspired word of God. Look at this. Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You can see that this is very similar to what's happening in our culture today. I see this happen. I have counseled young men who struggle with same-sex attraction. Much of it, in the case of men particularly, begins with an infatuation with their reflection. It begins with an attraction to oneself and a projection of that self onto the other. This is often the case for visually oriented men. It's also partly why gay men are more oriented towards appearances than our lesbians. There's a book by a Harvard graduate who pretends like this text doesn't say what it clearly says, who pretends like Sodom and Gomorrah experienced wrath from God because they neglected the poor. He refers to Isaiah, in which Isaiah, who is writing to the Israelites, calls them Sodom and Gomorrah as an insult, calling them the people of God. You're acting like Sodom and Gomorrah right now. You're neglecting the poor among you. And Vines, in his book, God and the Gay Christian, fails to see what is patently obvious. He makes the claim that God's wrath was poured out for the practice of pederasty, that is, in which older men use younger boys as sex objects, pretending as though lesbianism was not even a thing in Sodom and Gomorrah. I have to once again point to the clear reading of the text. 
with a clear conscience, your integrity intact, the Holy Spirit enabling you to understand, read this word and practice basic reading comprehension. Hear the word of the Lord. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. I've heard this verse abused by Christians before. Looking at the AIDS epidemic and pointing to it as God smiting the gay community. I read this text and see that they received in themselves the due penalty for their error. I don't think this was necessarily incurred by God. I think it was the natural symptom of their own actions. My gay friend, while we're being honest, anatomy obviously has a purpose to it. It's obvious. You know this. You've always known this. I know that right now it's politically expedient, politically correct to pretend like mayonnaise is a gender. Right? I get that. But let's be real. You and I both know You and I both know there's only one combination of genders that facilitates the survival of the human species. Anatomy is not a construct. It's not arbitrary. It's intentional, and it works. It creates new life. It has spiritual underpinnings, and it's beautiful. It's intentional. You were designed by God, and God did not make a mistake. You're assigned gender, assigned by whom? By the designer. Anatomy has a beautiful spiritual purpose. Look at verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. Okay, here comes a catalog of sins. And Christian, prepare to be made uncomfortable because when you come upon a sin in this catalog that you've committed, would you just raise your hand real quick? And by the time we get to this bottom of this list, we are all the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, so welcome. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. Okay, here it comes. Every hand better come up after this one. Disobedient to parents. Hands up. (laughs) Welcome to Highlands Community Church. Every one of us is guilty of that sin. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, oh, it's about to get really uncomfortable for every politically correct Christian in the room, but they give approval to those who practice them. Christian, have you been forsaking the truth of God so that you could be more politically correct? Have you been watering down the truth because you think that's more loving? Stay true to God's word. There are souls on the line. There are lives on the line. Stay true to God's word. This is nothing new culturally. It's also nothing new to Christianity. You think this is the first time that Christianity has fallen out of step with what was culturally acceptable? It's nothing new nothing new. You've given the choice here to either forsake the truth of God and maybe for a season be found accepted by culture, which will eventually forsake you anyway, or to
to forsake culture and stay true to God's word. Christian, you stay true to God's word. Stay true to God's word. Now listen, I know that the blogs are already starting, okay? You're typing up your entry right now on your phone. Any threats made against my bride and my babies will be dealt with to the full extent of the law because the law protects me with free speech for now. Should the day come that it doesn't, it won't change God's word and it won't silence me either. This is what God's word says. Don't be ashamed of God's word before men. Do not deny Jesus before men or you'll be denied before the Father. Stay faithful to the word of God, Christian. His name was Darius. He came into a worship service and was sure that I saw the rainbow flag logo that he wore proudly. It was a long service. He waited in line to meet with me afterwards. I was tired, so I pulled two chairs side by side. He was here in that chair facing me. His friend Stephen, who invited him, was there with us. Darius said that he wanted to join in worship, but he's like, I just couldn't. I couldn't because God hates gay people and I'm gay, so I couldn't, I couldn't join in. And so I, I pulled out my Bible and I went to John 3, 16. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believed in him would not die but have everlasting life. Darius, do you believe this? He said, no. I had a few pounds on him, Jehovah Jireh. And so I grabbed the legs of his chair and pulled him until his knees collided with mine. And I said, he loves you, Darius. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. I don't care what the devil says. God loves you. And he says that in his word. You believe this word is true. And Darius sat back either to think about it or just to get away from me. <laughs> and I could see the clouds part. And for a moment, and he said, I'll consider it. I'll consider it. And so Darius kept coming back to worship, coming back to church. The Holy Spirit was working on his heart. Everything was looking awesome until the Westboro cult showed up in town. They protest homosexuality in particular, committing other sins as they do. Darius saw that the name of the denomination they claim aligned with the denomination that was on our church's sign and said, I knew it, the Christians were lying, they all secretly hate me. And he refused to come back and I implored Stephen, look, Tell him to open up the Bible that his grandmother gave him and as the Spirit compels him to pray out to God his belief in that passage. Six months later, I was on mission in Kenya and I was standing up and I was preaching. I had an interpreter who was saying everything I said in Swahili. Internet and power were sporadic. My phone was on the podium with me to keep track of time, but suddenly, mid-message, internet came back. I saw a message pop up from Stephen. Darius prayed John 3.16 and gave his life to Christ. And so I said, yes! And then my interpreter said, yes! And all the young people said, yes! <laughs> Darius gave his life to Christ, was radically transformed by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, in time, Darius, like many other gay people that I've seen come to faith in Christ, did experience heterosexual attraction. But that's not a guarantee I can make you, my gay friend. I don't really know anything about conversion therapies or the weird camps that you see on Netflix. I don't know anything about those. I just know that God's standard is God's standard. You understand? You may deal with this temptation the rest of your life, but 
Christians also, likewise, we have to keep our sexual urges within the confines given by God our entire lives. Straight people are born with a natural proclivity unto polyamory as well. But we are called by, as Christians, to lead lives of monogamy and faithfulness to our spouses. So we're in this with you to an extent, in a way. God's standard is unchanging. I'm not going to promise that if you give your life to Christ, you're going to suddenly become straight. I'm not going to promise you that if you give your life to Christ, you're never going to be tempted by same-sex attraction again. Show of hands in the room, Christians, if you gave your life to Christ and then you experienced temptation after that, raise your hand. Okay, I'm not going to make some false promise to you. I'm just proclaiming the word of God to you. And here's what 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says. Jesse, can somebody be gay and live out the, the, the homosexual lifestyle? Can somebody be a gay Christian? Now, to clarify, I think somebody can be a Christian who struggles with same-sex attraction, but someone cannot be a gay Christian living out the homosexual sinful lifestyle with no repentance any more than they could live out any other sin without repentance, even identifying themselves by that particular sin. You understand? No one can be a gay Christian any more than they could be a gay adulterer, right? Because you're a Christian, you're gonna repent from that sin of adultery. Here's what the word of God says. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived, Christian. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Hey, hey, you never thought grammar was so beautiful in your life. In what tense is the word were? Past. It's the past tense. That's what you were. That's what you used to be, but that's not you anymore. That's not your name anymore. That scarlet letter, that brand has fallen from you. Look at the new name that God gives these repentant former sinners. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. My gay friend, would you be washed, justified, and sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God, just like you. I was born with a sin nature. And just like you, I've seen what the word of God says. And just like you, I know that the standard is high. And just like you, I mess up all the time. But just like me, you can confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And just like I was saved, you can believe in your heart and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And just like me, you can be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, forever transformed, washed, justified, sanctified. Would you, my gay friend, would you give your life to Jesus? and join me in heaven as you and I both thank God for delivering us from our sins, mine from my sins, and you from your sins. Would you give your life to Jesus today? Be washed, justified, and sanctified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of every last one of your sins. Though your sins are like scarlet, you can be made white as snow. Every last sin forgiven forevermore. 
pardoned by the grace of God. God is holy and he is righteous and he has wrath for sin just like ours, but you may be saved today. If the Holy Spirit of God is drawing upon your heart and the Bible is clear, would you give your life to Jesus right now? And Christian, if you've been forsaking the truth of God to be more palatable and politically correct, would you repent before your Lord for forsaking his word? Go before the Lord with me in prayer if you so dare and if you're so compelled. God, I believe that your word is true and I find myself in the crosshairs of your wrath for my sin. I was born with a sin nature, but God, you offer grace. I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that Jesus died upon the cross to spare me from my sins, to atone for my sins. And I believe in my heart that Jesus resurrected from the dead. So I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. Highlands Community Church, would you say Jesus is Lord? Say it, Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. Now God, let me be saved. Let me be saved. Let me be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.